All right. So, good morning. Uh, welcome to the Vineyard Church Brazosport. Let's, we're all veterans here, so not going to say if this is your first time. I know everybody. Um, yeah, welcome back. Yeah. So as you guys know, we don't have just one rock star here. We like for everybody to play. So that's why I feel okay doing this, right? Otherwise, I'd be, you know, I don't feel like I'm taking Bill's place or anything. I'm just taking my turn. Um, so we're going to play a little game. It's going to get a little bit interactive. The way I teach the youth is very interactive. In fact, it's too interactive. They kind of take over. But uh, so many tangents, right, Finney? So many tangents. So we're going to be just a little bit of that. So I want to play a game. I want to repeat this phrase. T-G... T-G-I-F. Yeah. T-G-I-F. Complete, complete, repeat, and deplete this phrase. Okay. So, so T-G-I-F. So what does that stand for, Jeff? Thank God it's Friday. What? So... I learned that acronym in the mid-90s, early 90s maybe. Little kid growing up, and ABC taught me all about TGIF, right? So uh, TGIF was Family Matters and Step by Step, and there's some few other shows sprinkled in there, but those are my favorites. So growing up, man, it's all about Family Matters. Carl Winslow. And... Uh, and that was TGIF. That's what we thank God for. That's what we get. Yeah, did I do that? Stefan Urkel would come out every now and then. That was a real treat. Um, so now ABC has grown. They've progressed a little bit with the times. Now we have, thank God, it's Thursday. One day earlier, one day less you have to wait, and you get these wonderful dramas. Grey's Anatomy, Scandal. And I've been told we've added a third hour. It's three hours. Thank God it's Thursday. So we get how to get away with murder. Yeah. That's what we thank God for now. Thank God for scandal and how to get away with murder. All right. But you know what? These thank God it's Thursday, thank God it's Friday phrases, they have something kind of behind the scenes that's working in your heart. They have an air of expectation, anticipation. Because if you've got that, thank God it's Thursday on your mind, on Monday, you're waiting for Thursday. You're looking ahead to Thursday. You're like, man, can't wait till Thursday. Watch me some Grey's Anatomy. I actually can't stand that show. And it's not because of why you think. It's because I get really squeamish around medical procedures. And so, like, if they're cutting somebody up, I'm, I have to run out of the room. I just, I'm a little wimp when it comes to medical stuff. Um, but... There are a lot of people that do anticipate that night when they get their, the next installment of their favorite show. The people of Jesus' time knew all about anticipation. When Jesus showed up on the scene, they understood expectation and anticipation. But they hadn't been waiting seven days. More like 400 years. Hundreds and hundreds of years, in fact, Prophets had been telling about this Savior, this Messiah that was going to come and going to restore all things, going to set everything right. 
They were living in darkness. In fact, that's the way Isaiah describes the coming of Jesus in Isaiah 9, verse 2. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And when Jesus began his ministry, he declared, I am the fulfillment of all these prophecies. I am the light of the world, in John 8, 12. He let everybody know that this anticipation, this expectation that you've had, it's here right now. In me, you can thank God for right now. So in him, that day that the prophets talked about had arrived. And that carried a whole lot of connotations with it. And it had a whole lot of impact on their world. I'm going to talk about two of those impacts. Jesus broke down barriers and he opened blind eyes. You know, when it comes to broken barriers, you know, you don't typically think of light physically knocking down a barrier, but if you're a ship out in the ocean and you're in a dense fog and you see that light breaking through the fog coming from a lighthouse, that beacon calling you home, then you, then you know what I'm talking about. If you've been lost and you've been grasping at straws to try and right your ship, to try and get back on the right path, you know what I'm talking about. There's so many people in this day and age live like that. And, and so many people feel marginalized and forgotten. Um, and, we, and we had that in the time of Jesus too with the Samaritan woman. And John chapter 4 is all about Jesus' ministry to the Samaritan woman. And it's full of broken barriers. Like he just left them in his path like, a, uh, like bullet casings. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few verses and then I'm going to summarize how Jesus ministered to her. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. A Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. So just to summarize the ministry that follows, Jesus unwraps her generational past. Hey, she's like, hey, I'm a Samaritan and I worship this way and you're a Jew and you worship this way and, you know, we've got this generational past between you and me that's just messed up. And they work through that. And he, he unwraps her personal past where she was a woman that for one reason or another had had five husbands in her life. And, you know, things weren't working out for her in the relationship department. And in that community at that time, she would have been covered in shame because of that. And so she had this personal past that, that made her ache. And, and through this confrontation, through this announcement that he is the light, Jesus invites her to a new way of worship, and he invites her to understand that he is the Messiah. He reveals he is the Messiah. So in verse 27, I just want to make sure we get this detail. In verse 27, Jesus says, or actually, the Bible says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. So he talked about the barriers that Jesus broke through, the racial barrier. They had a deep racial divide between Samaritans and Hebrews. 
That didn't stop Jesus. That didn't stop him. And the gender barrier, how a man's supposed to treat a woman back then or mistreat a woman back then. And that didn't stop Jesus from reaching out to her. Now, the barriers may have morphed and changed in the last 2,000 years, but we've still got them. We know we've still got them. We don't even have to describe them. But at the end, Jesus shining the light through that barrier led to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. So we don't just have one changed life out of this. We get a contagion, infectious spread. She went viral for you teenagers. She went viral. Viral's not a new thing, okay? She went viral 2,000 years ago with the message of Jesus and how his broken barriers in her life caused a thank God moment. Thank God for right now. Thank God for Jesus being the answer to my anticipation, my expectation. Thank God that right now, Jesus stepping in has changed my life, changed the way that I see myself, changed the way that I see others. And we'll, and we'll get into that more with opening blind eyes. You know, we talk about, it was part of Jesus' mission statement in Luke chapter 4. That's one of the miracles that people commonly associate with Jesus is healing the blind. And in John chapter 9, we see an instance where Jesus deals both with physical blindness. He healed a man who had been blind from birth and also spiritual blindness of those that were trying to learn from them, those that were trying to kill him, and everybody in, bet everybody in between. As he shined the light on their situation, he dealt with their spiritual blindness. So long story short, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but long story short, Jesus and his disciples come upon this man. He's been blind from birth. Jesus heals him. He uses a little unconventional method, right? He spits in some dirt, makes some mud, rubs it in his eyes. Guy goes to this special pool, washes his face. Boom, he can see. And that's not, I mean, I think that's cool. That's not what the sermon's about. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus used a lot of different ways to heal people. Um, he, uh, but what follows, what's more interesting to me for this sermon is what follows after the blind man's healed. Because the reaction of the people is like shock. Oh man, blind man. And they're starting to realize that's the first cue. That's their first cue that, man, this anticipation, this might be happening. It might be today. Today might be the day. And they're starting to get it. And so the community's in shock. They're like, this guy, was this, is this the guy? They actually started thinking, oh, this ain't the guy. They started trying to spread that rumor. This ain't the same guy. And the, and the guy's like, no, no, it's me. Yeah. Yeah, I can still talk. I was around. Yeah, I was the beggar. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're, they're interrogating him. They're like, you're not the same guy. And they'll go and get his parents. Is this your son? Are you sure this is the one that you gave birth to that's been blind since he was born? Like, yeah, we don't know what's going on. He can see now. That's our son. So then they get the guy a second time. They bring him in and they're like, just, you know, they got the bright light shining down on him. They're like, all right, so you are the guy that was blind. What did he do? How did he, what's his trick? What's his story, right? And they're kind of like trying to, 
And then they start, they're like, okay, we can't say that Jesus faked it. Obviously, you're the guy, he was blind. So they give up on that line, and they're like, Jesus is a sinner. You know Jesus is a sinner because he healed you on the Sabbath. He did work on the Sabbath, and they start getting into him that way. And that leads to John 9.30, which I've never really paid too much attention to this verse before. But think about it, how this guy, he's not educated. He's been begging his whole life. He couldn't read, obviously. So here's this guy that nobody's ever paying attention to, and he just drops theology bombs on these religious leaders, right? He's like, let me tell you something about God. Now that is remarkable. This is coming from the beggar, by the way. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening of eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So you see, the man's physical blindness was healed, and his revealed, the revealed personhood of Jesus to him open his spiritual eyes. He's getting things about God. He's getting things about Jesus because of this kingdom experience that he's had, because of this encounter. And it even worked with the Pharisees. Now, obviously, the Pharisees remained enemies of Jesus way throughout his, his career, his, his ministry on earth. But we know that some of them were, did have a heart change. We know that some of them did come around so even this, this kingdom experience, I have to believe, was a part of that. Even some Pharisees couldn't deny. They had to let go of their authority. They had to let go of their religious leadership, and they couldn't deny that this was a thank God moment, that their expectation, their moment of anticipation was here. And so Jesus closes the loop, right? He's like, I want to make sure you understand what has happened to you. So with the blind beggar in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is, he, her, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. See how both of, these, both of these stories, they end with praising God, worshipping God, a thank God moment. This is God's design for thank God. Shine the light in the situation Meet people where their expectation, their need for restoration is, is crying out for something better than what they've got. And then reveal Jesus to them. And we get thank God. So, in, in opening the spiritual, in, in dealing with the spiritual blindness, all, he, all Jesus had to do was reveal himself to that man. That's all it really was. Jesus is healing. And that's revealed in, in this situation. And we see in Jesus throughout his ministry, you know, I, I would love to sit here and just talk about stories about Jesus all day. Um, maybe I should. I don't know. But <laughs> we're leaving at 1230. Okay. That actually gives me quite a What time is it? You just, you just bought yourself more sermon, Carlos. <laughs> no. Um, but throughout his ministry, Jesus really just revealed his nature. And, and in that, see, the unique thing about Jesus is that in revealing his nature, in revealing himself to the world, he's revealing both who God really is, a true understanding of God, and how to really be human. At the same time, he's telling us, this is how to be who God made you to be for everybody here. 
And this is who God really is. Your messed up understandings of God, if they don't mix with me, if they clash against me, then you need to fix it and, and align it with who I am. And so that's the, that's the unique thing that we get out of his ministry. So we as this church of disciples, there's a role for us in this. The party didn't stop with Jesus Christ's ministry on earth, right? Over and over and over again, he's telling his disciples, the party's not over when I'm gone. You got to learn it so you can do it. So we get to continue the party. That's what being a disciple is, to continue to live in this party. Being a Christian, a believer, a disciple, a follower of Christ, however you want to label yourself, it all means that you have faith in Jesus and you follow Jesus. It's more than just a belief system. It's more than just acting different. It's a new life, a new identity. And it has the potential to affect everything around it, even stuff that you may not be aware of. I'll give you an example. I'll give you... Well, I'll give you just one example real fast. So I've got a teen in my youth group. This personal testimony he shared with me. It's like my family's been seeing that I read my Bible more. My family's been seeing that, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit different. And now they're all, they're coming up to me telling, hey, I'm going to church now. I'm going to church now. And that's, that's the summary version. There's more to it than that. But the bottom line is, I don't know whether that was his goal or not, but it happened. Because he was revealing, and there's more, see, he says, oh, I was reading the Bible more. But he was reading the Bible more and he was living different because of it. And he was revealing the nature of Jesus in his household to his family. And so now they may not come to our church, but we don't care about that. The point is now there's people out there getting closer to God and finding the light because we were stepping into our role, our identity with Jesus Christ. So Matthew 5.14 we get how Jesus summed up this principle of us being the light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what does it mean to be the light of the world? We saw Jesus is the light of the world. He proclaims that over and over and over again in the New Testament. John 8, John 9, John 3. It's in the summary uh, that John provides in John chapter 1. John, when he's writing this gospel about Jesus, he wants to make sure you know that he, Jesus is the light. He is, the ex, he is what you've been waiting for. He is that moment of expectation. But in Matthew's gospel, we see, we see Jesus saying, you're the light of the world. His ministry didn't stop. The party keeps going. And just like 2,000 years ago, we still have people living with expectation. They don't know what they're looking for anymore, though. That's the thing. They're not looking necessarily for a Messiah. They're not looking for a Savior. But they're looking for something. They're looking for something to bring restoration and healing and fix 
the brokenness that they know that their life is full of. And they turn to all kinds of different things for that. All kinds of different things for that fix. Some of it's, you know, okay. Some of it's not okay. Some of it just leads to more destruction. But we know that there's these moments where people are looking in anticipation for something that's going to come and make it better. As the light, we get to be a part of that moment, that thank God moment. At the very end of that verse, glorify your Father in heaven. That's what I want you to key in on. God's whole mission is about his glory. That's what my mission is about. That's what I want our mission as a church to be about, expanding God's glory. If we're doing the be the light part, we'll get the glorify your Father in heaven part. That's the formula, right? That, I'd like, that's how my brain works. I like to break everything down into formulas. If I got stuff on either side of an equal sign, I can read it all day. You give me a metaphor, and I'll just like... <laughs> but equals. Be who you are. Who Accept God's new identity for you. Be who God has set you to be. And we'll get more into the being. And... We'll have thank God moments. So he elaborates on the point of your identity in these verses. I just want to, this is really rich, so I want to get everything out as we can. This light cannot be hidden, should not be hidden. Instead, we should act with great intentionality to shine. Just by being this new identity that you have in Christ, we can, our presence can have an effect on other people and their situations. And really the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that's, what, that's all that ever has an effect, right? If we do ministry, that's all that ever is really causing anything is the presence of Jesus up here when we were praying together in that huddle. That's what was taking effect. I didn't get to feel it for long because I was dealing with kids, but come up here for a minute and I'm in the presence of God. And he's doing something. He's working something. And he's doing it through us because in him we get to be the light. So... In the year 2015, do we have barriers that we still deal with? Do we have racial barriers, ethnic barriers, socioeconomic barriers? Do we still marginalize people? We catch ourselves doing it too. We revert back. And, and when we do that, when we catch ourselves living against how we know God's called us to be, it's not us, you know, I mean, it's, it's not like, oh, it's like I was bad, I need to get better. It's... I need to remember who I am. I need to remember the identity that God has set out for me. To get back to be in the light, if, you've, if, you, if that's a goal of yours, just focus on who God says you are. So here's my heart for this church, the people of this church. If we want to be known as people who shine the light, this is what we do. 
We witness those struggling around us with barriers to right relationship with other people, to right relationship with God. And we step in. We don't ignore them. Because how are most of these barriers enforced? Let's be honest. How do we enforce racism or sexism? We ignore people. And there's so much pain in the inaction of ignoring somebody. There's so much pain in the walking on by that happens over and over again, especially in your high schools, right? Do people get ignored in high school? (laughs) That is a case study in barriers. (laughs) So when we see that, we step in with our God-given authority and our new identity And we break through that barrier and reveal Jesus in that situation. And that can take a lot of different shapes. It could take starting a relationship. It could take giving somebody some good advice. It could take introducing somebody to Jesus. But the point is, is that you don't ignore it. You don't accept it. Yeah, it's a norm for the world, but it's not a norm of how the light operates in this world. We don't pay attention to those barriers. And we'll see, thank God, moments. We'll see people praising God for having restored relationships with each other, having restored relationships with with God. Opening blind eyes, I already kind of said it. um, I got ahead of myself. But just revealing who Jesus is. You want to battle spiritual blindness? Introduce people to Jesus. And that doesn't necessarily mean, now I hope you crack open your Bible with them, but that doesn't necessarily mean cracking open your Bible and bopping them on the head with it. It means living your life in a way that displays God, that puts Jesus on display. So I want us to be a church that does that. How do we do that? Do we do it on our own? Do we do it because we decided to do it? Or do we do it with the Holy Spirit? with the fruit of the Spirit and with the gifts of the Spirit. You know, I didn't want to go all into the fruit and the gifts and make that what this is about, but I put the verse references up there in case you don't know. Look for that in your life. If you want to see if you're being the light, where's your fruit? Where's your peace, your kindness, your love, your gentleness, your self-control? Earnestly desire those gifts. You know, God's going to dispense them how he wants to, when he wants to. But pray for him. Seek him. Be a willing recipient of those gifts so you can shine into other people's lives and create some thank God moments. So I know this is kind of quick, but I'm going to sum things up. Being the light of the world and his identity issue. Jesus was the light. He knew who he was. If we're going to be the light of the world, we've got to know who we are. We've got to know who Jesus says we are, and we've got to be willing to accept that identity and surrender whatever we have our identity tied up in. If your identity is tied up in your job, in your money, or in any of those barriers that you like to hide behind, then you're not going to be 
taking on the identity Christ has for you, or you're going to be two-faced. That's what makes Bill's messages so important. You know, Bill's talking for six weeks about habits, and you're thinking, well, Nathan comes in here and he just totally does a 180. Everything that Bill said was about giving God space to change who you are. And he wasn't preaching that so that you can be good people. He wasn't preaching that so that you can keep coming to church. Bill was trying to help you make space for God to change who you are so you can be the light. Now, he didn't tell me this, but I know this because I know Bill. (laughs) Your change isn't just for you. You're not just investing in you when you enter in that spiritual discipline. You're not just investing in you when you take time to be with God and pray a little bit or just take time to, as Carlos says, just let God love on you. But this change that God puts in you is for everybody outside those church doors right now that's got something better to do. They could be shooting up or they could be fishing. I don't care. They need to know. They need to see who Jesus really is. And that's on us to be the light. With God, through the Holy Spirit, continuing the ministry that Jesus started, the party he started. And let me tell you, people ask, like, you know, if you invest any amount of time in doing things for God, people are going to ask why you do it. Because to the world, it seems like a waste of time. And man, it's like a party. Because when you do it enough, you realize you're not really doing anything. You just get to show up and watch God at work. Amen. Right? You pray and you watch God do what God does, and that is better than any movie, better than any football game. So that's what I want for us. I want for us to be a church that focuses on, on you know, those habits, those disciplines, and we, and we take our personal time with God and we take our personal relationship with God seriously, but so that we can really shine and that our presence can shine just being who we are and our new identity for the world around us. And in the future, when you do something that brings God glory and a thank God moment happened in somebody else's life that you got to play a part of it, you got to watch God do that through you, it's not going to be because of something you did. It's not going to be because that's what you do now. It's going to be because that's who you are now. So are we at that place yet? This is, the, this is where it gets real, right? It's minist- getting ready for ministry time, and I'm going to need it. Are we at that place yet? No, we're all working on it. I'm working on it. This, God, for me today, help me get better at knowing who I am in you. Holy Spirit, make me more in line with the identity you've given me than how I think of myself or how I see myself. That's my prayer for me. Do we even want to be on that path? God, I ask you, and I'm, 
from the bottom of my heart, I ask you, God, I want this more than anything, to be the light better than I have been. Have we gotten distracted? Or have we even ever really accepted our new identity in Jesus? Do you, I mean, have you accepted that Jesus has made you new? Or do you still hang on to the old you? And also remember that our young people are watching you. This is where it hits hard <laughs> for me, and I think for every adult and teenager in here. If you're not two years old, you have somebody younger than you watching you. And whether you're trying to or not, you're teaching them how we be the light in this church. It's one of the most famous nursery rhymes in the whole world. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We were singing that at Doing the Stuff, right? We were, did the Doing the Stuff conference. We were shoveling mulch and restoring a park, and we were singing this little light of mine. It's kind of like our chain gang song. <laughs> but... That's where a lot of churches leave being the light. Is that the nursery rhyme? We need to show our kids and our teenagers and our young adults and our old adults, we need to show each other how to be the light. We need to put it on display so that when one of these teenagers is a youth pastor and Josiah's coming to him and spends his whole evening on the smartphone while he's trying to teach him, <laughs> that he'll see what it means to be the light. Because it's a cute song, but there's a lot more to it than just quoting the verse or singing the song. So it's important, and it's not just about how good you do at it is not just about you, right? We all affect each other. No man is an island. 